I'm really glad that you're all here this morning. I am. Uh, and I say that to those of you who I know and, and also to those who I don't know. Uh, I'm glad that we're gathered here because uh, I really hope that for this morning that each of us would see something good, something that maybe we hadn't seen before about what God is like. And that seeing that would change us. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is, is narrow in on one scene from the Christmas story. Uh, the scene that was read by Kathy, and, and, and really from the perspective uh, which was just sung for us by Julie. And narrowing in on that story, here's what I expect that we'll see. It is that God does the most extraordinary thing through the most ordinary person. That this way of God in the world, which is maybe different than we've learned to expect, is not an exception in the case of Mary, but rather the way that God actually does things in the world, the world which is in real need of good things, is when he comes to ordinary people and then through them does really, truly extraordinary things. Not just in a village outside of Jerusalem in the first century, but in the lunchroom around the table with your peers or at the kitchen table this evening with your family or at the boardroom table uh, tomorrow in that meeting. The way that God actually works in the world is he does extraordinary things through ordinary people who, like Mary, are ready to say, here I am, uh, use me. Now I'll tell you what my hope is really for us in seeing this, and I wanna be particular here uh, because I want us to have a target to aim at. It is that seeing the way God operates would have an effect on you individually and us all together. Uh, I hope that you go from this place with a clearer vision of what God is like specifically in terms of how he might be inviting you to be a person through whom he does something extraordinary in the world. I, I, I hope for that. I want to see that happen because of our time together. And then secondly, I'd like for this church, Renaissance Church, of which I am a part and you are a part in some measure, I would like to see us become a community through whom God does great things. I would like us to see God and then to know that he invites us to be a group through whom he does extraordinary things, as he has already, but even more so in the days ahead. And the way we'll see this is, as I've said, by narrowing in on the story which was read and especially on this one character, Mary. And so what I want to do is bring you to that story and go through it slowly. Uh, we'll look at the version which Luke offers in his gospel. In the first chapter of Luke, the story begins in verse 26 with the setting. And I want to read it and then talk about it and we'll go through it together. Uh, let's, let's look together at that story. Verse 26 reads like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This is the setting, the characters, the place of what for Christians, and I would even argue for the world at large, is one of the most important stories ever told. The action takes place in Nazareth. Nazareth, you know about Nazareth, right, from the Old Testament? No, you don't. It was never mentioned. 
It's a dirty trick, isn't it? Nazareth is nowhere. It's not Jerusalem. That's what it is. Jerusalem is the center of, of religious life. It's where you'd expect something important with God to happen in these days. But no, this story is set in a little town that no one knows about called Nazareth. And there in that ordinary town, there something extraordinary happens. A heavenly messenger is sent to that town. Who is the messenger sent to? Well, a girl named Mary. And what we know about her aside from her name is that she is betrothed to be married to a man called Joseph. Betrothed means that she's a young girl, 12 or 13 years old. We don't hear anything at all about her family. There's no lineage given. She has no kin that is noteworthy. She has no claim to status at all. In the book of Luke, when a person is important, well, they have ancestors who are named. But here we meet this character, Mary, and what we see when we meet her is that she is the most ordinary figure imaginable. Ordinary town, ordinary girl. Now here's what happens in that place. Verse 28, the action continues. And he, that is Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Mary, the ordinary is approached by Gabriel the angel, the most extraordinary figure we could picture. And to this young girl, the word comes from the angel twice that she is favored by God. Did you see that? The first greeting from the angel, greetings favored one. When she's afraid, do not be afraid. The Lord is with you for you have found favor with God. Mary's response is to be perplexed. She's pondering what sort of greeting this might be. She's not as surprised at the angel's presence as she is by what the angel says. And if you put yourself in her position, it's not hard to imagine. There's the heavenly messenger and the word twice is you are favored by God. You've been singled out. The Almighty God has looked down and has seen you, and you have become the object of His favor. Would you imagine that for a moment? I mean, really try to imagine that. Whatever you think about, Mary, whatever you think about the Christmas story, imagine that tonight your Sunday routine is done. You're in the bedroom there, the bed clothes are down, you've got your PJs on, your finest silk Christmas pajamas, you know you wear them. And as you sit down and the lights are off and you lean back, suddenly the darkness is pierced by a blinding light. Y your eyes adjust, the light dims, and there in your room is a heavenly messenger. Maybe you don't believe in that kind of stuff. Try this. Imagine that would happen. Imagine there is a messenger in your room and that messenger says to you, and in this moment, you believe that's a messenger from heaven. You are favored by God. I am here with you now because I've singled you out and I'm here to tell you that you have become the recipient of God's favor. What do you think would come next? Seriously, what do you imagine that messenger might say to you? Greetings, favored one. I've seen how boring school is. The janitor will lose his keys tomorrow and they will not be able to unlock the building and you will have no homework for the rest of your life. God is with you. Does that sound uh, fantastic? 
Every night I ask my son, I do, and he's eight, what would you like me to ask God to help you with? And that's what he says. <laughs> that's what divine favor looks like to him. It's actually, he's a little more creative. Sometimes it's a pipe will burst and flood the school. Sometimes it's violent. Pray that God will make the school burn down. My son sees divine favor as the removal of school and homework. What, what is it to you? I mean, be honest here. What would you want to hear? What would be God's favor to you? Uh, greetings, favored one. I've seen how terrible your boss is. Your boss will be transferred. You will become the new boss and there will be an accounting error and $10 million attributed to your account. God is with you. <laughs> right, or, or maybe, greetings, favored one. I've seen how hard it is for you in this season of loneliness. I've got a loved one who's going to be there for you tomorrow, sweep you off your feet. A greetings favored one. I know how challenging your marriage is right now. Your spouse will be changed as you always wished. Your children will finally get on the right path. They're, they're, the ways they're going, which are bad, I'm going to straighten that out. You're favored by God. All of your troubles are going to go away. The challenges that have really made life difficult for you, I'm going to take them away. You're favored by God. It will be nothing but smiles and ease and comfort from here on forward. You are favored by God. Do you, do you kind of think like that? Uh, listen, I, I'm not afraid to admit it, that even I, when I'm not thinking very deeply, that's kind of what I hope God's favor will be like. The removal of challenges so that life will become easier rather than difficult and everything will go my way as I've always wanted it to. Uh, maybe you find yourself thinking of God in that way. This, this story at Christmas has a gift for us, first of all here, by correcting that understanding of what God's favor looks like. Mary has just heard that she is favored by God and this is what that favor will look like. This is verse 31. And now, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. We have to set aside our sentimental pictures of Christmas to put ourselves in her position to see what is really happening here for her. She's a girl. She's engaged, but she's not been with her husband yet. She hasn't. She lives in a town where everybody knows everyone else's business. Nobody there has any tolerance for extramarital affairs. And the angel's gonna tell her later on, Mary, that this conception comes from the Holy Spirit and it's God's work and she'll know that, but that's not gonna be what the neighbors think when they see her growing. This message to Mary of God's divine favor amounts to an invitation from God into a world of unimaginable challenge. Leave aside the fact that in the, in the first century, pregnancy in itself is a dangerous thing. But imagine the world of social hurt and shame that this will initiate for this girl. In her religious circles, it's even uh, death by stoning is even sanctioned for someone who will have uh, appeared as this girl will have appeared to be on the wrong path. And here comes the angel of God saying, you are favored by God. High five. Welcome to a world of hurt. Really, that's what it would have been for her. And what this picture does if we will let it, 
is it stands as a corrective to our shallow way of thinking that God's favor would mean that my life gets easier, more comfortable, and everything goes my way. No, here we see the favor of God coming to a girl, inviting her into a very, very challenging path. And I'll tell you, it might be that this is the exception. But when we open the scriptures and look more broadly at the way it is with God and men and women who he comes to, we see actually this is the norm. God is consistently approaching ordinary people, inviting them to do extraordinary things. And every time, the invitation means favor, which makes life more challenging. Abraham, in the very beginning we meet him, God comes and says, I have a promise. I'm going to bless the world through you, but you have to get up and leave your homeland and go into a strange land, and I'll show you on the way. That's a challenging path. It was the same for Noah before him and Moses after him and Elijah after him and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Amos. And if all of these are just names to you, you don't know their stories, you'll have to trust me. The consistent picture in scripture is that when God comes to a man and invites him in his favor onto a path, it's always a difficult path. It's the same with the women that we meet in scripture. The widow at Zarephath, Rahab who harbors the spies, it's just the same with Esther, the young girl who's invited to stand up to the enemy at just such a time, and it's exactly what we see here with Mary. The picture is this, that God comes with his favor, which is always an invitation onto a difficult path. It's an invitation that's good for the world around, but it will always mean more, not less challenge. And I want to tell you specifically what that means for us. And I want to tell you for you personally and for us all together. It means that if we will see what God is really like, that it will be time for us to grow up and set aside our wishes that the janitor will lose the keys and then be ready to ask instead, how will I be a person of God's favor in the school that I don't want to go to? In the family where it's really hard to get along with everyone? at the office where there's pressure to conform and go this way rather than that. How will I be the recipient of God's favor in each and every one of those circumstances? And then we all together as a church should also ask the same question. How will we, Renaissance Church, be a community that is ready to receive God's divine favor in the form of a task? Let me be very concrete. I'll start with you personally. Right now, you live in a world that is largely divided and filled with hatred. Am I right? Yeah? And it's not just from one side across a line to the other, but it's from every direction, everywhere you look. There's anger, frustration, and, and it takes the form of cruelty to others and sometimes even violence. And it's all around us. It's swallowed us up. We're so sick of it, right? You might even wish, I, I, I wish the pastor wouldn't have brought this back into my mind because I'm so sick of it. You know who also is sick of it? God himself. And here's his favor. Get ready. You are favored by God. God comes with his favor and invites you to be an agent of love in a world of hate. To be the bearer of his light in a world of darkness. And that favor means you come with God and get on the path where you stand up to your enemies with love, which looks very weak. And which means no more fighting, but graciousness and kindness that goes beyond understanding. And will that be an easy path to, path to walk on? I'll tell you, no, it will not. It will be very hard. But God's favor is his invitation to walk on paths like that. I'll give you another example. Uh, we live in, in a, a place and in a time 
of, of, of matchless greed and materialism. I'm right about that, aren't I? And, and in a world like that, where there are many who don't have enough and others who have more than enough, God's favor comes to people like that and says, I invite you onto the path of radical generosity. You are favored by me. I invite you into a life of selfless divestment for the sake of others. God says, find a cause in the world. Maybe it's an effort in the third world that meets a very desperate need like water or food. Or maybe it's even the church that you're sitting in this morning and God says, become radically generous. You're favored by me. Divest yourself of part of what you have for the sake of others in the world and then you will be a person who's favored. That will be my favor. Will it be easy? No. I mean the kind of generosity that Jesus invited his followers to engage in which was always felt, which always made life more challenging. You are favored by God. Be generous. Here's one that I know sadly uh, meets all of us just where we are. Okay, here it is. You ready? You are a person who's in a family that's a little bit messed up. Okay, don't laugh too loud if you're with your family. (laughs) But yeah, it'll happen at the season that you'll have to be with people that make it harder, uh, who have hurt you, And I know some of you bear really deep wounds from your family, or if it's not your family, from your community of faith, perhaps. And now you have that list in your mind of all the wrongs that you have suffered. And I'm going to tell you this morning that you've suffered. But then comes God with his divine favor, and he says, greetings, favored one. I invite you to forgive the other. Oh, and and I know, A part of you says, that's an impossible path to walk. It's too difficult. How could I ever? That would be too challenging. That would be too uncomfortable. And and forget it, I could never. Yes, I know that. And yet God comes and says, I know how hard this path is, but I'm inviting you on it because I favor you. I've forgiven you. I've forgiven the others. Every list with all of its wrongs, this is what God says. I've taken that from every person and nailed it to the cross. And now I favor you. And so I invite you to be the one who forgives the people around you. Do it. It will be harder than you can imagine, but do it. So here's what I hope for, and I really hope for this, that not one of us would go on avoiding God's favor because it's too challenging. And I want to be clear here. Mary, as a young girl, if you would only imagine how utterly challenging this would have been, No one would have blamed her for saying, no, there's no way, I cannot do that. And and the same goes for you and me. If we're really hearing God's call with his favor, we will be hearing his invitation on the paths that are just too much for us. And so a part of us will want to say, no, I could never go on that path, but I'm going to urge you now, and I really want to do this. I want to urge you to embrace the challenge of God's favor. However it comes to you, to hold on to it instead of running away from it, to accept it, to say yes to all of the difficulty that will come as God brings his favor onto you. I have a very good reason for challenging you to this. I'll get to that in a moment. But if you resist, then I've got a list which I've put together that has four reasons why you should embrace God's challenge instead of running from it. And if I know anything, uh, it's how, how powerful lists are when pastors start reading them. So watch out. What are you laughing for? Here we go. I want, I want, and I've even written it because I want you to see it. Here's why you should embrace God's challenge as his favor. First, positive change is always challenging. 
Now we might forget this, but the truth about growth, the truth about progress, the truth about every change in life which is worth anything at all is that it always comes when people go into and through challenge rather than running away from it. You can see this with your exercise routine. It hurts when you start out and you want to give up. And if you're me, you do give up. But if you don't, then you make progress because real positive change comes when you move into challenge and not run away from it. And what's true in general should also be true as we become men and women who gather in a place like this and say, what will God do with me? Well, positive change is challenging. That's the first reason. Uh, here's the second reason to embrace the challenge. Two, the easier path is never really easier. Uh, I doubt that this is a newsflash for anyone, but no matter what, life is going to be challenging. I'm telling the truth, aren't I? And, and there are two different ways. There's the challenge of hearing God's favor in the form of his task and going into it. That's one type of challenge. And then there's the other type of challenge, which is saying, no, since that's too hard, I'll choose the easier path and go away from what God has for me. And I promise that everyone who does that will find out that that easy path is actually harder because its challenges will be destructive to you. The challenges on God's path will actually be constructive. They'll be the kind that build you up and make you strong. The challenges on this path, the one away from God, are the ones that are going to break you down, humiliate you, keep you trapped. Even as you may succeed going down this path, you'll find the empty hollowness that every goal pursued apart from God, even when achieved, is worthless. Whereas on this path, maybe the challenge will make you lose some things. And you'll, you'll be the one who on that path says, I'm so glad I've lost it. Because this challenging path is better than the easier one over there. That's the second reason. Ooh, I'm getting fired up. Because I'm thinking about us all together. This third one. Those first two, you, you, can, have, uh, you can have no belief in God at all and see those first two and agree with me. This third one is a, a belief that comes from my faith. This comes out of a theological conviction that I have about you, even if I don't know you. Or if I know you well and I know what you've done. Here's the third reason to embrace the challenge. Your true self is only found on God's path. Uh, if you've ever wondered in a moment of reflection, who am I really? You know that moment where life is strange and you start looking at yourself and you, and you say, like, what's it all about? Uh, you live through some change and you look at yourself and I don't even know myself. Or, or you succeed in the wildest way imaginable. And in the light of that success, you see the fact that it wasn't really meaningful. And you say, who am I? This is true. You will never, ever know the truth of who you really are until you find the path that God himself has made you to walk on, which will be the, the path that has a unique task with your name on it. And I, I, I can believe that with utter confidence about those of you who I know really well and those of you whose name I've never heard because I know this, it's true. God made you and God made you uniquely you with a task in mind, with a task, a path that you yourself are meant to walk on, which is uniquely good and which is your task. And until you begin to walk on it, you'll never find out who you really are. And so if you avoid his path because it's too challenging, in the process, you will avoid your true self. And I want you to be your true self. God made you to be you, not someone else. And when you walk on his challenging path, you find it. 
And now here's the fourth reason to embrace the challenge of God's favor. It is that when you find that path, you find the path, this is for God's path for you, which is good for the world. And this, this is very personal. Uh, it's about you individually, and it's about me and us in the world we find ourselves in, which is broken, which is really in a bad way. Yes, it is, but when you find the path that God has for you and embrace it, even with all the challenge, you become the instrument that is uniquely good in the world around you. When I rattled off those names, Abraham, Moses, Noah, all of those names, Esther, the widow of Zarephath, I was putting before you the names of people who have changed the world for the better. And Mary, oh, she is the best example of it that we have this morning because her challenging path is challenging for her, but good for you and for me and for the world in an unbelievable way. But it is true. Look with me at what the angel says. Come back to the story and see what the angel says about the baby who will be born to her. This is verse 32. This is where the angel tells her, your task will result in this thing. Verse 32, he will be great. And the truth of that claim, well, we have evidence for it right now. All these years later, we're still talking about that baby. He will be great because he will be called the son of the most high. And that is the angel's way of telling Mary that the baby who's going to be born in you will be so identified with the most high, that is the God who is above all, that he will be in person, that God coming into the world to rescue the world. Never has there been a gift that is better for the world than the one that came through Mary and her choosing to accept the invitation onto God's difficult path. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. That is, that this child will be the long-awaited anointed one, the Messiah that God had promised to the ancestors for generations for whom we've hoped. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And now listen, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Here, God is making it plain through this messenger to this girl that the path she will have to walk on if she is willing to say yes will be the one that God uses to bless the whole world. It's magnificent to think of. But at the same time, if you are like me, you might think, never could I have a part in God's plan that would be anything like that. Who am I? Uh, can I tell you that you are the one that God has made to do good in the world that is, in a way, just like what Mary does, you may wonder, where is God? When will he arrive? The answer that the New Testament gives is very simple. Those who have trust in Jesus, they bear the Holy Spirit within them and God uses men and women who are just as ordinary as Mary to bring his goodness and light into the world. That's who you are. Jesus told his followers, trust in me and you see the great things that I do, you'll do even greater things. And I've never, ever known a time in history myself where there are more opportunities for great things to be done in the world than I see right now. I mean love being extended to those who are isolated and lonely. And you know, there are people who are isolated and lonely all around us. I mean hope being born into the world that is so anxious and afraid in this very moment that hope is like water in the desert. 
I mean grace and mercy coming to friends and neighbors that says, in effect, all is well. Not because we have a solution, but because God himself has chosen to come and rescue humanity through the grace of his own presence in Jesus Christ. Thank God. And who will bear that into the world? Well, I'll tell you. You will, and I will. And we all will do that when we learn, like Mary to respond to God's invitation of favor with the very simple faith that we see here. And I want to show this to you. I want to show it to you so that you yourself have a challenge from this girl, Mary, that shows you how to be when God comes with his favor. Look at the response that is recorded from Mary in verse 38. After she has pondered, and considered this greeting and this favor and this challenge, she responds like this. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. That response of Mary's with its three parts is for us a beautiful example of how we might become men and women who accept God's favor as his task, thus becoming the way in which he brings about his good purposes in the world. All three parts of what she said are meaningful. She begins with this phrase, here am I. Uh, this is what that means. What God requires is you. Not somebody else, you. Just as you are. Not as you wish you were. Not as you've learned to pretend you are because of the pressure of this place or because of the religious community saying you should be this rather than that. No, just as you are with your doubts and with your confidence, with all of your gifts and your power, with your weakness too. What God requires of those to whom he comes with his favor is them. And so you would say, here am I. And that's what Mary says first. Me, this insignificant young girl with no power and nothing but challenge ahead of me, here am I. Then she goes on to say, the servant of the Lord. This is a second and a beautiful sign for us that the best way to see yourself, if you will see yourself truly, is as the Lord's servant. Picture that for a moment. What if that's how you saw yourself? Here am I with everything that I am, and who am I? Well, I am God's servant. It's the right way to see yourself. It's who you've made. It's, it's, it's who you've been made to be by God himself. It's how you'll find your true self when, like Mary, you say, I am God's servant. And then lastly, she says, let it be with me according to your word. Not according to what I wish or what I've always dreamed of or how I would picture God's favor if it were up to me. No, none of that. She's ready to dispense of that and say, whatever you say, that is how it will be with me. When we learn to do that, when you, when you do that, you become the servant of the Lord through whom God does great things. And when we learn that all together, we will become the community in Summit, New Jersey that God uses to do amazing things. And I Man, I dream big, but I, I trust that what God will do through us will be even better. Uh, I want to give you a very pointed challenge. Uh, I, I want you to accept this from me. And if you don't, well, I'm going to say it anyway. To every one of you individually, here's my challenge. That this phrase of Mary's, that you would commit this to memory. And you do it today. These three phrases. Here am I, the servant of the Lord, 
let it be with me according to your word. And that that would be so in your mind and your heart that you would learn to have that response every time God invites you. So that if tonight, what I said earlier really happens, right? Like you're going to bed and boom, the lights flash, you're ready to respond properly. But not only then, but tomorrow, that when you're around some kids who are difficult, you, you think to yourself, here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. And then you respond with kindness instead of hate. Or when you're with the kids after school and it's annoying, they're up to it again. You say quietly to yourself, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And you let God guide you in your way with the kids. Or when you're at the office and the pressure is on to be crude and shrewd in a way that's destructive and self-centered, you say it again. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word and God's word guides you in your actions instead of your own impulses. I'm telling you, in every setting that you will find yourself in, if you will learn to say this, you will see that God's favor will draw you further on the path of his path, which is good for the world around you. And you watch how God changes you and the people around you. That's my challenge for you. And then my challenge for us as a church, it is that we would uh, do the same, but just change the pronoun. That we would say all together, here we are. That this church would look at who we are here together uh, with every strength and power and even with every hurt and, and pain that's in this place, with the loneliness and the love that's here, that we would look at this place and say, well, before God, here we are. And then our self-image, Renaissance Church would look at itself before God and say, we are the servant of the Lord. And that would be the chief identity that we had of ourselves. That we thought of ourselves in that way, that I personally and the rest of the staff, every volunteer here and all of you people together, the elders and the leaders and everyone who's here would say, we together are the servant of the Lord. That if we would have that vision of ourselves and then add to it, let it be with renaissance according to your word. So that we took our cue for what we're meant to be in the world from this place. From God's word to us, my challenge is that we would accept that. Here, if we would do that in the year ahead, I'll tell you what, we would live divine favor and that would mean that we would begin to walk on the path where we would be uniquely useful in God's hands in the world which is in desperate need of help. And that is something that I want to sign up for and I want you to sign up for it with me so that together we go on that journey where the true God, the God whose favor comes as a task, is received by us as we learn to say, here we are, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with us according to your word. Now I'm gonna pray and ask God uh, to make that happen for us and for each of us together. Um, and I'm gonna ask you to join me now as we do that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this beautiful story of how you came with your favor to this girl and invited her into a challenge which was good for the world and good for us. God, we praise you that Mary responded as she did with such courage and humility, with such trust in you. God, I ask very simply this morning that for every person who is in this room, everyone who hears my voice, that your spirit would be with us, that we could commit to our own hearts, Mary's response, and let that be our silent prayer throughout our days. God, help us see ourselves as we are, 
Help us give our true selves to you as your servants and then use us to do your good in the world according to your word. And then lastly, God, I pray that you would be at work forming Renaissance Church to be your church, to be a church that sees itself as your servant, as a church that is used by you in the world for good. God, we give ourselves to you in this moment. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.